Business Women Rock, Episode 3. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. Welcome to the third episode of the Business Women Rock podcast. I really am so excited that you're here today to listen to this story. And I really just want to tell you how much I appreciate you listening to the show and subscribing and commenting and rating and sharing it. I've been so overwhelmed by the response from you and I just want to say thank you. So today's interview is with Laura Johnson, the founder of Cotton Colors. Cotton Colors products are these gorgeous, artistic, bright, colorful house products like plates and ceramics and ornaments and all those sorts of things. My interview with her today is really going to focus on how she took her art, actually put it into product and created a business out of it, how she has worked with her family. There are a lot of family members in this business and how she's continued to actually grow out her business and how she manages three separate business entities under the Cotton Colors brand. So I am so excited for you to hear this story. This lady is super, super smart and uh, has a really great story to tell. So Turn up the volume. It is time to rock. Laura, thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate you coming down. I'm so thrilled to be here. I really am so excited to share the story of Cotton Colors. And in order to really understand where you are now, I really want to start at the beginning and get ask you, how did you even come up with the idea of creating the company Cotton Colors? I have always had an entrepreneurial spirit for sure, even when I was a young child. I was um, born and raised in Miami and had a wonderful mother and father who supported my artistic endeavors. So I was really founded in art and found a lot of love and inspiration out of designing and creating different items all my life. Got into painting and ceramics and sculpture and all different types of mediums. I was exposed many, many different ways um, all throughout my upbringing. Um, but once I hit my teenage years or even possibly before then, I always loved being able to sell what I made. It wasn't just enough for me to make it, although that was very nice um, and enjoyable. I really got the thrill when I was able to sell something. So even in high school, I started with a little business here and there, and I would make things and then go and hit the um, hit the customers and try to sell them and so forth, which was hard for me because I was a pretty shy child. Um, but I had to learn to overcome that a bit. Um, and then when I went to Florida State University, my um, college, and I graduated with an art degree, had a lot of um, different abilities there, uh, lots of different exposures in different mediums. So I found um, love in painting and, and in ceramics again and just kind of expanded my knowledge with that and uh, had a lot of exposure to the commercial arts. So I did a lot of paste-up work, layouts, a lot of um, pre-computer, unfortunately, but had a lot of experience in advertising and, and marketing and so forth on the on the creative advertising um, genre. And then graduated, moved, met my husband in college, got married right out of college and moved to Atlanta. Um, but it really started when I was pregnant with my first daughter, who is Kyle, who is now 23, and um, wanted to be able to find a little passion that I could stay at home with her. 
So I started Cotton Colors, and that was a little clothing line, little hand-dyed, hand-painted clothing. Um, never really found my love in designing clothing, per se. So it wasn't really that. It wasn't fashion. It was uh, mostly just cotton and just a different medium to work in. So I would hand-dye these children's clothing and hand-paint them, too. So did that on and off um, on a retail level, just sold out of my home or at different people's homes, and people would place orders, and we'd madly go home and, and make them and create them and fulfill the orders. Um, when my last daughter was born, I have three girls, I wanted to capture her handprints in a medium. So I like, rolled out some clay, got back my clay at an art, uh, art uh, uh, store, and rolled out some clay and put her handprints in it and took it to a local old-timey little ceramic studio where all the ladies were painting different figurines and so forth, and she fired them for me. And while I was there, I noticed some raw clay plates and um, sitting on the shelf. So I quickly purchased those along with some clay paints and took them home and painted my daughter's names on them as well as my nieces. I have three nieces as well. Um, so between the six girls, I had a different plate for each one of them with their names on them with the different patterns and so forth that I had done on the clothing. Um, and so from there, we set the table. Everybody knew where their plates were and friends saw it. My customers who were buying my clothing saw it and then it just began um, a passion of mine. And I knew that was the medium I was most familiar with. I was could do it. It was a giftable line. It was something that I could create myself and felt very comfortable in. It was um, more so than the fashion kind of feeling. So I really went to that, work, um, cut my teeth with that, with friends and family, expanded the line, then got in my car and drove it to surrounding towns and every store I went to bought it. And I was shocked. And I said, okay, well, I think I have a business here. And so that was when Cotton Colors moved into the pottery business. Actually, the ceramic studio was in my garage to begin with, and then took over the um, ceramic studio when I needed more kiln space, bought kilns, and I sat there painted. My mother loaded kilns. She packed up um, customers' orders. My dad helped make the pottery and swept the floors, and um, the rest was history. We went to Atlanta with my, my sister, my mother, my brother, my whole family while my husband um, helped with the kids and started with my first order in, uh, in, in that scale and just it, haven't looked back since then. Holy cow. Yeah. So definitely just the snowball effect of keep moving forward. It totally was. So we just kept going and it was funny because that's all it would be is we were on a cycle of go to market, prepare for market, go to market, take all the orders, come home, paint to order basically. I would go home and make all the pottery according to what they ordered and I was just buried in order. So I was just constantly creating and creating and creating and manufacturing until just added more kilns, more painting tables, more people, and until we had quite the studio that was producing a lot of work. Well, and I want to get into a couple of details in that whole story that you just talked about. So the first and foremost is that you named your company Cotton Colors because you started painting cotton shirts and cotton clothing mm -hmm. and then very quickly actually stopped doing that and really was in ceramics and a bunch of other things. Why did you keep that name and what effect did that have on branding? While the pottery was a main portion of our business, we kept in the clothing business. We did wholesaler clothing on a, on a um, tentative basis, kind of for many years actually, but it was much more less attentive to. Our pottery was the mainstay because I knew that that was the driving force and that would be something that I loved to create and that was much more what I knew and, and could do creatively. Um, so we kept it because it was a branded name that we had and, and there has been many times and not even recently that we've thought about the name change, um, but I've always been talked out of that and probably regret that to a degree at some point, but I do think it causes, it's one of the questions that I'm asked most often is, why cotton colors and why one tea? Um, so it kind of catches the attention. I'm hoping one day it'll just turn into a name and not mean anything, but I'm not so sure if we'll ever get there. 
So let's talk about, you know, the point at which things were really starting to come in. So can you walk us through what business was actually like that first year? You know, what happened when things were really starting to kind of orders were starting to pick up? Um, you knew, you know, orders were coming, you were going to market, all this sort of stuff. Can you slow down and, and break down what happened in that first year of business? The first year of business, I would say, was uh, I did have to move into my own studio space. My family put their foot down, especially my sister, and said, you're not running this business out of your garage anymore with your fax machine between your two twin beds of your daughters. No more. You have to move into an official space. And so that, that was the first order of business, and to be able to develop the um, the actual facility and hire the people that could do it. And that was kind of funny because the people would walk in the door and say, are you hiring? And I say, okay, let me see how fast you run. Because we were working so fast, they would run around, and I would literally, I'd say, okay, you're a fast worker, go home, change your clothes, and come sit down, I'm going to train you. And some of them would work out and have been with me ever since, and some wouldn't, and we'd send them on their way, or they left running because it was a very fast pace. And it was a lot of work, manufacturing. Manufacturing is very, very, very time-consuming, and, and I happened to pick the hardest product ever in the world to make, and I happened to paint it the hardest you could ever do because as simple as our designs are, it's very, very complicated, and um, as we've really pursued a lot of manufacturing, we found this to be true in everybody because it's very unforgiving. It's a white plate with lots of colorful pieces, bright colors, um, difficult to do. And so we would, um, the first year of business really was me sitting there painting and encouraging everybody else to paint faster and faster and me designing and my family supporting me a hundred percent. And then I'd run home, run, go get the carpool, run back, paint, 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 and anybody and everybody I can corral to help join me and help get that production line going. I would. And when you say that your family supported you, mm-hmm. you're talking literally, I mean, you would be calling your family when you got an order and saying, come over, I need help. Let's paint. Let, let's get on this. We need to be able to produce this. That's what we did in the very beginning and always. And I would call rich the maximum capacity and they would come running, um, get in their car and head up north, one from Miami and one from Tampa. But once I moved into going to market, they became full-time employees. And so my parent, both of my parents have worked with me since then. Um, and sometimes they're paid, sometimes they're not. They're paid now. But in the early days, it was just whatever we could do, we did. And so I had the absolute joy and benefit of having both of them, people that I could trust in, you know, tremendously and with a ton of talent. My dad has a great deal of financial sense, so he passed on that type of um, responsibility to me. And uh, my mother um, passed on her passion to me because there's never, even now, um, she runs our retail store in Tallahassee. If I need the go ahead, Laura, go do it, it's her because she believes in me 100% and knows what I can do. And I always can depend on her to to double, triple, quadruple any order. That's what she says. You're going to sell more than you think you are. So um, I've had that great balance between the two of them. And also my sister and my husband and um, all of the employees that we've gathered up and have been with me for so many years, um, they become family. That's kind of our culture is very family-based. And your three daughters are in the business too. They are actually. Can you talk a little bit about that? Give us a couple of stories of maybe some of the worst mistakes that you've made working with family. Some major lessons that you've learned. Uh, I don't, you know, we are, people often ask us how we do it because it is very, I know for some people, very, very difficult to work with family because you've got so many different emotions involved and so much closeness. I think that we are extremely fortunate and I don't know why in the fact that while we have arguments, we fight, we do know our roles and we do respect each other and we do listen to each other and um, we kind of 
all give and take. It's not it's not my way or the highway ever. We kind of let everybody kind of have their say and then people understand. So they know when it's important to stand up for themselves and understand what needs to be done. Um, but we also have fortunately grown to the size that we are now where everybody has their roles. And as long as we don't um, try to disrespect each other. Some people may feel that way. Um, we really try to, we, we love each other and we enjoy being around each other and, and we kind of get over it. We don't harbor a whole lot of, a lot of problems. I mean, we really don't. It's not, we don't have a lot of time, um, to do that. So we let that kind of stuff go and forgive and forget and move on. So you talked a little bit before about manufacturing and how you guys are heavy into manu- manufacturing. And it just so happens that you built a business on one of the toughest products to manufacture. Can you walk us through what that process has been like for you, what you've needed to do to find the right manufacturers, um, the challenges you've had, maybe sometimes where you've just made some horrible mistakes. Years and years, we did the um, first 10, 12 years of our business, we manufactured everything ourselves. So we grew our space. We jumped into, we moved into three different studio spaces. Um, One, the last studio space being um, a 15,000 square foot facility where we really built a kilns, lots of kiln space. So we were um, loading kilns and the process of manufacturing pottery is really challenging because it is a raw material, as I had said, and, and it takes a lot of hands. I mean, we go through, still even today, 25 different sets of hands to get it finished. Um, so it's very, very labor intensive. And then that's only if it fires through successfully. Um, many firings, two or three firings to get it done. Um, lots of coats of paint to paint it correctly and glazing and actually making it. So in the beginning, we would make all of our pottery by hand. I had a, a person that I was connected to in the very beginning. He was a stay-at-home dad who ended up, who was a potter by trade. He had his own pottery business, still does today. And he um, and I worked together. He'd have his kids in the car seat, in the playpen, and I'd have my kids in the car seat, and I would go visit the studio, and we'd collaborate together. And I would draw and sketch what I wanted, and he would hand throw it on the wheel, and we would work together to collaborate all of the different designs. About seven years ago, we made the big leap to manufacture Overseas, which was one of the biggest mistakes I made was not going there sooner because we could have really grown our business much more. I was finding that I would go to markets. I could only go to one or two in the year because I'd outstrip my production. Um, so I was on a treadmill somewhat where I would go and sell so much that I couldn't fulfill the orders that I would sell until eight, eight month turnaround time. Wow. We would have a season. You didn't have the capacity to didn't be have able the capacity. to do it. I didn't have enough hands. I couldn't hire enough people. People didn't want to do the work. Um, it was hard to manufacture that quickly that, that, you know, just moving, we would move studio spaces, grow our studio space, pop up more painting tables, add more kilns, and it still just was never enough. Um, and there was just so many hours in the day to get that much work done. Um, but I was approached by a wonderful person, and I consider him a very major partner with me. He's Although it's my business, he um, helps with all of my manufacturing overseas. And he came to me with his family years ago. He called me on the phone and said, I want to come and see you. I have a pottery studio in China, and I would love to manufacture your things for you. I love your line, and I see what you're trying to do and the artistry that you have. And at that time, I wasn't talking to anybody. I was so busy painting that I couldn't even lift my head up and I said, no, you know, I don't know. And, and he said, no, really, I want to come and see you. I'm taking my children to Disney World. And he lived in Canada at the time. And I said, Disney World is nowhere close to Tallahassee. You're going to waste <laughs> your time. And he goes, no problem, I'll come. So he showed up on my doorstep with his kids and wife. And we had a all-day meeting. And um, we put him through the ringer because it was extremely 
important to me that this process be done the way that I wanted it to be done, that our creativity and our artistry was never challenged um, because I wanted it to be better and not worse than it was. Um, and so we went over, We um, he convinced me to go over to China. That was eight years ago. I went over with my sister, and we placed an order with him, and it was wonderful. I don't know what I was expecting, but it was great to see all those many hands working exactly how I was doing in the States um, with just more, you know, and better. And they did exactly what we were doing. They faced the exact same challenges that I faced. We talk in different languages, but about the same process. And um, found a great partner with that in order to produce the work that I was looking for. And he's been a, a tremendous partner with me to be able to take off that stress of manufacturing. I don't think I could have lasted in that business. I know I couldn't um, sustain it because the costs were just too huge. And it was just, it would have driven us out of business and my love for it would have just evaporated having to deal in a manufacturing way. So now what that afforded me was the ability to grow the line that I love in different mediums. I'm able to do wood products and I'm able to do textiles. We do, um, we do all different types of mediums that I would never be able to do. I would be very limiting to pottery. We do glass ornaments and glassware and and all different types of things. So it makes me really um, enhance my ability to, to design, which is what my passion is. Design and sell and market. That's my love. We really grew and design really for all of the different, as it comes out to it, the different celebrations of life. So you'll see in our line, which is kind of big, in the fact that as my daughters grew, we would need different things to celebrate with. So as they had a birthday, we made birthday plates. Or as they um, had a christening, we did christening. Or if they needed a Christmas um, decor, we did Christmas plates. So you can see that um, all of that manufacturing was done throughout all of the year. And then we could explore and expand that to match what we needed um, to be able to celebrate. And I exactly want to go in that direction mm -hmm. about all of your different lines. If you go to cottoncolors.com, you see you have a huge, a, a huge, Huge inventory, lots mm -hmm. of SKUs, um, lots of products that you sell, and you do them all in different seasons, different mediums, all that sort of stuff. Can you talk about some of the strategy that you've used to launch a new line and a new idea? Um, whenever you can hit on something that is very popular um, and you can expand on that popularity, that's what's fun to do, and that's what I love to do is when you see something, we're fortunate because we could test it, but then people are begging for more, and that's really how our line has developed. As I said originally, my daughters, I entertain, I love to entertain, my love to do, have people over even spontaneously or as a planned event, and to be able to manufacture things that make that type of celebrating easier. Um, entertaining to me is not a lot of stress and a lot of work, but it's a, I mean, it does take time to do it, but it doesn't have to be horribly um, oppressive. I love to gather up the different pieces and have them at the ready to be able to use it. So as we grew the line, as I would entertain, I would say, gosh, I really wish I had this to hold the bread in, or I wish I had some napkins to match and make to be able to change out. And so that's kind of where our swap tabletop line developed was the strategic way to be able to take one basic idea and then add smaller smaller skew amounts to them to enhance to make it a bigger line and that way I can also allow for my customers to have the fun I do almost as a designer to say hey here's all the different pieces and parts here's some additional things that I do every every season now you can have it at your fingertips to be able to create your own line of dinnerware so you can take this color plate match it with this color bowl change it out with this napkin and create your own table 
table setting. So that's what I love and that's my strategy behind it is to kind of put the designer touch in their hands and very simply and easily be able to throw a party or have a host a celebration um, with a complete set that makes it look fun and, and it's easy to do. And that's been a success. Yes. Your, your customers really love that ability to be able to mix and match. They do. They I do. love that. Mm-hmm. Now, one moment that I saw that, wow, this woman is so smart when it comes to building out lines was the collegiate line. Mm-hmm. It, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant because you've got a market who's very, who are like raging fans of their particular school. Talk about your collegiate line. I'm making the assumption that the idea came up when your daughter started going to school. And there you go. Um, mm-hmm. And and what what was your strategy there? And what did you learn there? I really, I, the strategy really, as I said, when my daughters were in college, that's when you start realizing, hey, there's a market here, and there's a lot of a lot of crazy um, fans and a lot of crazier parents, and and you have kids that that love to spend money. So why not, especially to support their school and. And what I learned there was really the the ability to negotiate because all of our colleges are licensed. So I had to go sell my company to the Collegiate Licensing Board, which um, takes a little bit of negotiating skills to be able to do that because the um, there may have other, been other people not doing what I do at all, but um, what they do. And so we had to go prove ourselves that we were a company that they wouldn't want to do business with because a lot of the schools are pretty picky and cheesy about who they want to have their brand on, even though you'd be surprised at some of the products they allow to have their um, brand on. But uh, that was fun to be able to see. The strategy there was really starting with schools to go after. So we matched it perfectly, I think, in the beginning with our client base, of course. We figured out where our customers were located. But what's so interesting is in the collegiate world, you think that only Florida people, only Florida schools would buy or stores would buy Florida products. Well, Everybody moves everywhere. They don't just live in the town or the state or the city that they went to school in. So that's what really opened the market really well for us is is that they're across everywhere. People in Houston, Texas, especially some of these metro, metro areas are incredible because they'll buy every single school because they know um, that their clientele is from all over the, all over the country. So, um, And it's really just been so fun to see how passionate people are. And we, Cotton Color is what also has been fun is we do things a little bit different in the fact that we take, we really research it. We have a lot of um, college kids that work with us. We have a lot of people that are fans. Our national sales director is the biggest football fan in the world. She knows everything about every mascot and every every, um, tradition. And we love to match those traditions to our artwork. So you'll see the Cotton Color style. Whereas other types of people may just apply a logo or their colors or whatnot, we apply also their traditions. So we really try to dig deep and make it fun and interesting. And and the fans really, um, really love it. So I want that to bring up the question, which is rarely does creativity and business live together. You have both of those qualities. Can you talk a little bit about how you've balanced being creative and needing a creative outlet to kind of the the rigors of having a business mind and really being able to build a company? Uh, It is. I've asked that a lot because it is hard to have both, um, to, to be the creative type and not have, I have... Um, daughters who may be more creative than they are financially smart. Um, but fortunately, I had some very good support. As I mentioned, my father, he um, instilled in me, kept my feet on the ground with that. And so he taught me the basics of this is what's important. Although he is a hands-off kind of teacher. He likes me to learn on my own. And he is kind of the rock who will always be there and, and help me through any questions that I have. But with that behind me, I really um, realized how important it was to be very smart with that. So I had to go out and learn on my own. And it was kind of intuitive. Some of it was very intuitive. And some I just really asked. I mean, I really had to go after people and ask the questions. I 
spoke a lot, unfortunately, as much as I hate to have accounting meetings, I do often with the accountant and with the banks and um, try to learn from people that know that side of the business because it's very, very important. It's very crucial that you are sound because you can you can um, convince yourself of a lot of things, but if it's just the numbers aren't showing it, then you're off track. So it's very important to remain um, and grow to the scale that you need to at the time that you're doing it and not outscale out your growth too quickly or else you'll be in trouble. You have a common theme in the growth of your company, and that is your ability to sell like a maniac. Can you talk to us a little bit about your sales journey, your journey as a salesperson? Um, what have you learned? What are the, some of the biggest mistakes that you've made as a salesperson? How I, I'll start with the positives and the fact that I have it a little bit easy because I am my customer. I design a product that I use. Um, I use every single product that I have. It's in my kitchen. It's in my pantry. It's in my dining room. It's what I use. So I have it a little bit easy because I do sell to myself. Um, and then also a meeting with customers and listening to them. That was the selling process that a lot of artists don't usually have. Since I am working in a commercial space, I'm not a fine artist and working in a artistic, that type of thing where it's just my vision. It's also their vision. And I listen to what their needs are. I learn a lot um, in that process because I was the only salesperson. My mother and I, my, you know, my sister, I'd corral whoever, I, my, you know, my sister, my mom and I, we'd stand in our booth and sell. And we'd listen to each other. We also opened the retail store, so I heard a lot. Um, a feedback from customers. Not that I have to listen to everything, because if I was run ragged by every suggestion, then I wouldn't have my own cohesive line. But I do like to hear their input to understand what they're wanting. Um, and that is what matched what I was able to give them. Um, biggest mistake, probably, um, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to say. There's some things that probably haven't sold as well that I was passionate about, but usually when I'm passionate about it, it pretty much I can I can I can sell it and, and have that person sell it off their shelves as well. So Cotton Colors has three different actual businesses. So one is Cotton Colors, the wholesale business um, that sells to how many different stores? Over three thousand stores nationwide and internationally. We do have some um, some stores internationally as well. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And then you have two retail stores, mm -hmm. one in Tallahassee and one in Tampa. And then you actually have the website. Correct. I want to talk about the website for a second because the website as a business is its own entity. It's its own monster. You have a very robust e-commerce business on your website. Can you talk about some of the unique um, energies that need to go into actually running a successful e-commerce business? You know, it's a completely different business um, than a brick-and-mortar store, and it does demand a ton of attention. You think it's pretty easy just to put up a website or buy a website and put your products on it and then let it sit there, but... Uh, it is, uh, it's almost its own entity in the fact that you have to run your inventory very tightly. You have to run um, your whole financial, um, all of the customer financial data. You have to be very protected with that. You have to have a whole different marketing level because you're not talking in the traditional space that you normally are. Um, we talk, we put on many hats and I have a very, very strong team that is able to change. Um, we have actually two teams now that work almost together very solidly in the fact that they are um, business-to-business -business driven and also direct-to-consumer business. And that's our brand. That's our biggest arm of our marketing. So we spend a lot of time on learning that, that portion of the business. It's a whole different type of business in the fact that you have to educate yourself on how people shop online. Um, how they talk, where they're finding you, all the keywords, all of the advertising spend, all your return on investment. It's very complicated. Um, it's exciting as anything, but it's extremely complicated, and you have to have some really good, solid consultants there to help you. Um, and that's a lot of our attention is spent on that. It's, it takes a lot more attention than you would ever imagine um, to run a, a successful wholesale, um, I mean, uh, website. 
but it's also one of the most exciting because it's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it's there's holds no borders. So when you spend your money, you're spending it internationally, and it's just incredible to watch those shoppers shop from all over the world and to be able to express your brand so easily while you're just sitting in Tallahassee. What have been some of your most successful marketing <coughs> strategies um, from your for your online business? Any internet marketing, any social media? What have been some of the, the most effective strategies that you guys have used online? Online, I would probably say... Um, co-branding with other companies. We love to share our work with others. So we've had some fun. That's been more of a recent thing that we've done. We've partnered with a couple of national brands and um, showed their application on our site while they're showing our products on their site and creating a fun contest and a great social activities and talking to our customers with that. So that's been fun um, to kind of spread the word. And that's really increased our audience share because that's what it's about is really growing that audience base and letting people hear about you. And while we may be talking and talking and, and how great Cotton Colors is and yak, 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 if we're not, if we don't have that increasing audience, then we're just talking to the same group of people all the time. So that's really the name of the game. And that was our big focus in the fourth quarter of last year was really growing that audience and being able to tell them, hey, this is who we are. This is who Cotton Colors is. Come take a look and see what we do. Um, so co-branding with um, either large or small, I mean, that's what's the um, fun thing too, is you can have different people that you work with that you love their products that may fit well with you. So that's been great. What kind of leader are you? And secondarily, what kind of leader have you grown into over the years? What are what are some of the major ways that you've actually flourished as a, as a leader of your company? I probably, uh, people would probably call me very passionate. Um, I'm pretty fast worker. I, um, they would probably call me very hardworking. I don't, I think that I work a lot of time and a lot of hours. Um, I hope that they would think that I was a pretty fair leader in the fact that I want everybody's success with my success. I'm not one just to take all the credit and all the, all the profit, um, but to be able to share it. I also, there's nothing ha makes me happier than watching people grow into their job and being able to do what they're really good at and giving them the platform to be able to grow in that profession and educate themselves more. And um, we are also a huge team. We have a lot of team meetings. People, we're a meeting kind of company, so we all, I love to gather ideas, and I'm always pushing people to add more and more. So we have a very um, dynamic group that is expected to do quite a bit, but they also have the support of their entire team to be able to do it. So we're very collaborative, too. It's not all, they may think I'm right, they think I'm right all the time, which I usually um, teasingly say I am, but <laughs> I really listen to what they have to say, and they, they contribute so much to cotton colors on all levels. So, and you, fun. you've constantly really, you know, tried to improve yourself as a leader of your company, as a strategist for your business, any books that you've read, any business books that you've read that have really impacted the way that you approach your company? Uh, definitely. I just finished, as a matter of fact, not finished because I'm constantly reading it is, um, master, mastering the Rockefeller habits. That was uh, um, a great book that is it has very little to do with Rockefeller, actually, but it has a very wonderful um, business plan model. And actually, we have a what we call the Cotton Colors MBA program, and all of our management is in it. And that is our textbook that we're using at the time being. And so we are not only myself growing and learning, I try to um, expose that to my entire management team, and some of our all of our staff has access to it as well. So we go through the chapters and learn um, learn from that. So that's been a I think that's probably been the biggest change um, in our business. That book has changed our business the most because it's just helped us. It's really an alignment. It's a wonderful book on aligning the um, vision of your company. 
all of these years, what have been some of your lowest moments in business for you personally, and how have you really come out of those? Lowest moments in business is when we haven't achieved the goal that we have set um, and kind of been blindsided, always hopeful that we would get there, and when it became done, we usually blow our goals out of the water. Um, but one year in particular, we didn't, and it was very upsetting to realize that we missed it and really didn't have an understanding, clear understanding of as to why. Um, that was probably my lowest moment, and probably my lowest moment was the way I acted <laughs> or reacted to the news. Um, probably wasn't real fair with that. Um, at the time, probably lost my cool a little bit more than I would have liked. Not real proud of that moment. Um, and But I think coming out of that, I realized that I just can't depend on, you know, just to be angry about something, I have to figure out ahead of time why it isn't working and to be able to lead through it so that we don't make the same mistakes that we made in the past or really get a better understanding as to where we are instead of just expecting it to get done. Laura, what, um, what do you keep, what do you do in order to keep yourself sharp about being the strategist of your company and the leader of your company? I actually, um, do a lot of reading. I do a lot of listening. I do a lot of asking. I try to network kind of coming into that on my own now that I have a little bit um, of more time, although I have no time, more time to kind of work on the business. I really try to make alliances with people um, of like businesses or different businesses that have been there, done that, so I can learn from them. I'm not afraid to reach out anymore. And I also joined an accountability group. The group that I happen to be in is Vistage, and it's a Tallahassee, Tallahassee group that I'm involved in. And they invited me to come, and I joined um, a year ago, and year and a half ago, I guess. And that's probably the biggest difference is that I can listen to these very smart people um, group together and they never let me off the hook. They never tell me what to do. They make me tell them what I'm going to do. And then they challenge me for what I'm going to do. And it's been a great, um, accomplishment of mine. It's something that I did not have time for, never would have thought I had time for, but now I have to do it because it's that important to the, the ability to get away from the day to day that I'm so, so involved in to get back out of it and make sure that I'm being the leader that I need to be to help the staff get to achieve their goals that they're, that we're all trying to achieve together. And what do you think is the vision for Cotton Colors? I envision Cotton Colors to be a lifestyle brand um, that is international. And I really want it to reach coast to coast and be in a lot of stores that um, and nationally recognized and to be able to help everybody in the country, um, in our in our customer base, to be able to never miss an opportunity to celebrate every day. And after all these years of building your company, what do you see in the years ahead for you? Um, more fun, more design, more growth with my daughter as um, leading the design and all of the people that work for me getting um, involved in a lot of more fun projects. We wrote a cookbook together two years ago. That was incredible. I had the best experience of my life collaborating with a good friend of mine who helped um, provide a lot of the, um, we did a lot of the cooking together. She provided a lot of wonderful recipes and kind of told the brand story and our lifestyle and how we like to live and introduced the company to people that may not know about Cotton Colors. And I hope to see a lot more fun collaborations like that where we can continue to to travel and source in at various different places and um, grow the line and grow myself. 
Laura, I really, really want to thank you for coming by today and being able to have a conversation with me. It has been such a treat to learn about your journey um, and about all of the incredible things that you have built over the years. And, and I have loved especially being able to see how creativity and business um, can really live so well together. And your company and you yourself really embody that. So thank you so much for sharing your business journey with us. I really, really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you. It's been so much fun. My favorite part about that interview was really learning how Laura's artistic side really coexisted so well with such an astute business mind. It was really fascinating to really hear that story. So I hope that you learned something. I hope that you were able to take something away and really go use it in your business. If you haven't yet, please go subscribe to the Business Women Rock podcast. Go rate the show. Go leave a comment, tell me what your favorite part was, and visit our website at bizwomenrock.com. I'll see you next time and keep on rocking.